as we jump into this series, I was thinking about this, and, and how many of you ladies dreamed of getting married when you were a little girl? Let me see. A few of you. So in those dreams, you, did, did you dream of having this beautiful wedding, of having this, this knight in shining armor come and just sweep you off your feet, carry you across the threshold, communicate with you, help you cook, help you clean, rub your back, rub your feet? Anybody have that dream? Anybody still dreaming about that dream, right? Okay. Men, you didn't do that, did you? You better not. Don't, don't say it out loud. In this church, uh, we'll make fun of you. But men, what we did, we, I'm just telling you, how many of you men dreamed of the one day getting married and having sex twice a day and three times on Sunday? How many of you guys were, yeah, uh-huh, glory to God, yes. How many of you guys are still dreaming? Uh-huh. There's just a whole lot of expectations about marriage. And, and what's, what's kind of scary is people don't teach you about marriage. And so we're going to spend a few weeks looking at that. Um, because I spend a lot of time, I love premarital counseling. To be honest with you, postmarital, uh, right before the divorce counseling wears me out because they're so far gone in many cases. They don't like each other. They don't listen so we're going to try to fix some of that. We, don't, we want you to avoid disappointment, hurts, anger, and divorce. And many of you have been in wounding relation, wounded and wounding relationships, and some of you are saying, is a, is a happy marriage even possible? Yes, it's possible, but not likely if you do it like everybody in the world does marriage. It is not likely. Statistics tell us that about 50% of marriages will not make it. They'll divorce. And the reason, the only reason it's lower than 50% is so many people don't even get married now. And when they break up, it's not counted as a divorce statistic. The younger you are, so like 19 is one of the worst ages to get, get married. That's the highest rate of uh, divorce. It's because you don't know who you are. You don't know what you want. You marry somebody and you have conflict. The younger you are, the greater your chances are of getting a divorce. Um, and then of the 50% or so that make it, a lot of them are miserable and they're just staying together because of the kids. The odds are really stacked against us if we do marriage the way everybody outside the Bible does marriage. So I have a question for you. If 50% if, if of marriages fail, let me ask you, what other area of your life are you satisfied with 50% odds against you? Let me give you some examples. If there's a 50% chance that the cereal you eat every day for breakfast will give you cancer, what are you going to do? If you have any brains, you're going to quit eating that cereal, right? If I said there's a 50% chance that all of your money that's in a bank or in investments or whatever is going to be wiped out this week, what are you going to do? You're probably going to go and figure out some type of strategy to deal with that money and put it in a safe place. If I told you that tomorrow morning when you walked outside the doors of your house, you'd be attacked by a, a flock of man-eating cats, what would you do? Would you just go, eat me? No. You would try to figure out something to deal with the man-eating cats. Here's the point. We won't accept 50% odds in any other area of our life, but we accept it in marriage. See, in our, in our messed up society, where you have to go through training to get a driver's permit, you can go down here to the county clerk's office and get a marriage license for $82 with zero training. And that just makes no sense to me. It's not very smart. If you're not married yet, please don't do it the way the world does it. 
Do things God's way. Get married, have a, have a pastor involved, go through premarital counseling because we're not making a legal agreement. No matter what people in this world tell you, this is marriage was ordained by God. There was one thing in the Garden of Eden that was not good. That was man was alone. God designed woman to correspond to his needs so that they come together and they fulfill each other. This is, this is not a spiritual I mean, it's not, a, it's not a contract. It's a spiritual covenant with a holy God. And we're asking him to give us the kind of marriage he wants us to have. So we better do things his way. If you invite a pastor into the process, you may say some, some vows like this. Um, I, I haven't used these, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring these back into, um, into my, uh, sermons, my sermons uh, when I'm doing the marriage, my officiating, because here's the thing. My brother was old school. My brother did our wedding, and he said this. He said, Doug, repeat after me. I, Doug, take you, Janie, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold. Do you remember what the next phrase is? From this day forward. Go ahead and put that up there. From this day forward. You know why I like that so much? Because it means it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. doesn't matter what happened 10 minutes ago. From this moment, we are stepping across a line together. We're going to forsake all others. We're going to change things. doesn't matter what we did in our dating relationship if we messed up. doesn't matter if we're living together. It doesn't matter if we struggled sexually. From this day forward, we're going to cross that line together. From this day forward, things are going to be different. My commitment to you and to God is from this day forward, it's going to be different. And this is a huge commitment to God and your spouse, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. And then... We said, so help me, God. What that really means is, no, God, help me. If you've never said, God, please help me, you had not been married long enough because you're going to say that one day because marriage isn't easy. I don't care who you marry. You're going to have days where you go, God, what were you thinking and what was I thinking, right? It's just the way it is. So, so we want to fail-proof your marriage, and in order to do that, there's five commitments we're going to look at over the next five weeks, and here they are. I'm just going to put them up. We're going to go through them real fast. Seek God. Kill the background and then put that, there you go. Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. Say those with me. Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. That sucked. Say it again. Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up. The first step that we're going to talk about today, the first commitment to fail proof. Hear me now. Fail proofing your marriage is to seek God. Now, the big fat problem that I see is most people aren't seeking God what are they seeking before they get married? They're seeking a spouse. We're seeking that perfect someone, the person who's going to meet our needs and make us feel warm and fuzzy for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and, and everyone knows that you can't be happy in life if you listen to folks outside these walls unless you find what? The one. I need to find the one. The guy goes out and he meets her and she's pretty and, and yeah, and, and he likes kissing her and she smells good and, and she just looks at me and, and makes me feel good. I think I've met the one, right? And the girl goes, oh, and that doesn't sound like a girl, but it's best I got. Oh, he's, he's such a, a sweet man and he talks and he listens. Good luck with that lady. That's not going to last long. He's, he's fooling you. And he's got such a cute little behind. I don't know what girls say, but, but whatever girls say. But then you come to this conclusion. You say, oh, I think I've met the one. <laughs> oh, what people believe is that you've got to meet the one to be fulfilled. Well, just one time, I want to hear somebody say, I've met someone 
and they're so Christ-like, and they love to worship, and they love to pray. I think I've met my two. Because, see, here's the thing. Culture teaches us something that's actually true. You need to meet the one to be fulfilled, but what culture doesn't tell you is another person is not the one. Another person is not the one. Here it is. Here's the first step to fail-proof your marriage. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. God is my one, spouse is two. This is a game changer. I want you to say game changer. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important command? He did not say, love your spouse with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What did he say? Here it is in Matthew 22. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's what I want you to repeat after me. God is my one. And my spouse is my two. God is my one. And my spouse is my two. All right, just just question today. How many of you are not married? Raise your hands. Keep them up. Keep them up. This is important. Very, very important. Um, if, you're, if you're watching online, no, 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 keep them up. No, you have to keep them up. You got to play this game real quick. If you're online, just type, you know, type me. I'm, I'm single. I'm not married. Whatever, you know, play along with us so we can see all this. Now, if, if you have your hands raised and just look around. If there's a connection that's made today, name your first son Doug because I helped you. <laughs> Figure out who the person was for you. If, you're on, if, if you don't see them in here, go look online. Okay, you can put your hands down. Go look online and, you know, just check them out. If you're not married yet, here is how to be blessed by God. I, this is it. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. Seek what? The one, capital Z-O, capital O, not a lowercase. The one, God. We shouldn't be seeking a spouse. We should be seeking God. Well, why? Because his word tells us in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom, what I have uh, above all else. See those red letters? Read those red letters. Above all else, number one. And live righteously. And then look at this. He will give. Who will give? If you put God as number one and you live righteously, he will give you what? Everything you need. You need a spouse. You make God your number one. He'll take care of the rest. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself where? In the Lord, not in, not in a spouse, not in a boyfriend or girlfriend, in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me. How? With all what? All your heart. Who number one? He is. How many of you are seeking God and not a spouse? How many of you are seeking God before a good time? How many of you are delighting in the Lord? And if you don't know the answer to that question, you're not. You need a good friend to slap you upside the head and say, why would God waste a godly person on a sinful person? Stop looking for a spouse. Start living for God. Seek the one while he, while he is preparing you for the two. Andy Stanley tells this story. He said, there's a young girl. She was a very committed Christian. She goes off to college, and she strays far from God. She starts partying. Alcohol turns into drugs. Drugs turns into guy after guy after guy after guy. But the whole time she's thinking, I love God. Someday I want to marry a godly man. One day I'll come back to God, and God will fix all of this. But she continued to live in sin. Unlike the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son was in the mud with the pigs and he woke up. He came to his senses. He went back to the father. This girl didn't do that. She continued to live in sin. One day, one day, 
Well, one day she met the guy that was everything she wanted. He was, he was godly. He actually was discipling other men how to follow Jesus. She thought, this is the guy. And she tells her mom, I've, I've found the guy. I want to marry him, and I'm going to make myself available to him. And now hear me before I say this. The mama said this very lovingly. She said, uh, why would God? Uh, she said, a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. Somebody say, ouch. Now, I don't want your mama to have to say that. So I'm going to say, a guy who's seeking after God is not looking for a girl who's far from God. A woman who is seeking after God is not looking for a man who's far from God. A guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. See, here's the problem. It doesn't matter what you want. You attract who you are. The people that, that, that are around you, if you got some bad options, you're hanging out in the wrong places. You need to start seeking God. If you're far from God, you'll attract people who are far from God. And if you, have hope, if you hope to have a godly marriage one day, you not need to start living a godly life today. Seek God. Become the kind of person that you want to marry. If you want to marry someone who's had 18 sex partners in the last three months, go ahead. But your chances of survival are not very good as a marriage, married couple. If you, uh, if you want to live like everybody else and have 50-50 odds, go ahead. But if you want something different, then you need to seek God today. I will seek the one while, while preparing for my two. Now, if you're married, how many of you are married? Here's your commitment to fail-proof your marriage. I will always seek the one with my two. I will always seek the one with my two. Our marriages will never be what God wants them to be unless he's number one and our spouse is number two. Here's what happens. Too often, we make our spouse number one, or we make our children number one, or we make our jobs number one. Um, and we might even make God number one, but then we put our spouse or our children or our jobs number two. It's not going to work. God's number one, spouse is number two. I actually, after Janie's sophomore year in college, she had this grand plan. It's a good thing I didn't know because I would have ran for the hills. So, so she was, she, we knew each other. We met each other in youth camp. She went off to college. She said, I, was, I wanted to date around. I wanted to see you occasionally. She didn't tell me this until I married her. I wanted to see you occasionally over my first two years. And then wherever you were, because I was a youth minister at this time, she said, I was going to move wherever you were, finish my college career there. When I graduated from college, I was going to marry you. Well, she calls me not to communicate this plan, but she calls me right after her sophomore year, finding out what I was doing. And, and she was kind of being a little bit pushy. And, and I was going to go see my friend. She wanted to come see me. I already had plans to go see my best friend. The guy ended up being best man in my, in my wedding. And so she's kind of being pushy. And I said, you know what? I don't need this. And I broke up with her. And the reason I broke up with her is not just because she was being pushy, but because somehow at, at 24 years old, God had communicated to me that she thought too highly of me, that I was her number one and God wasn't her number one. She'll tell you this, that later, and, and, and actually when we came back together two years later, I'm walking uh, somewhere in Austin, Texas. She's in, at, walking across the campus at, at Sam Houston State University. And both of us, without the other one knowing, said, God, whatever you want. You want me to be single? I'll be single. You want me to be married? I'll be married. You want me to be married? You better bring the right person to me. We both said that. God brought us back together. A few months later, we got married. I broke up with her because she put me on the pedestal, and I thought, I can't be her God. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your children can't be your God because that makes them an idol. Oh, you're going to make me happy? You're going, you complete me. 
I feel so good when I'm around you. I'm nothing without you. Can I just say vomit? <laughs> the one who completes me is him. Janie was never designed to do that. Janie's awesome. I love my wife to this day. I love looking in those blue eyes to this day. I love hearing her laugh. I love kissing my wife, but she was never designed to be my number one. She was designed to be two. The person that you're putting in that pedestal is incapable of meeting all your needs. You're set up for failure. And here's why. Let me tell you why. Because first we idolize them, then we demonize them, right? We're not... (laughs) Oh, you start thinking, oh, well, she's so conscientious. She's so organized. She's so driven. I love her passion for life. And you marry and you go, she's a f- control freak. She's nuts. I can't even fold the towels right. She refolds the towels. If that's you, I'm sorry. That's just, that's on you. Because um, me, if, if I fold a towel and Janie refolds it, I will never fold a towel again. She knows that. So she's like, thank you. Just get it near the hamper. Get it near. So- anyway. She's a control freak. First we idolize. Oh, she's so passionate for life, everything. And then we demonize. I actually have a book in my office. Would you put that up there, Nate? Opposites, you know, it says attract, and then it marks out, and it says attack. Because you know it's right. First we idolize, then we demonize. She says, he's so laid back. And he listens to me, and I just love his, his laid-back nature. Get married? He's a lazy bump on a log who does nothing but play video games all day. First we idolize, then we demonize, right? Opposites attract. That's, that's what you... You would not marry someone like you. You would kill them. You'd be in jail, right? Because you would kill somebody like you. You're attracted to someone who's opposite of you, and if you're not careful, if they're your number one, you will attack them. To have the marriage that you want, you're going to have to seek the one with the two. So how do we do that? Well, very simply, somebody coined a phrase a while back um, called keystone habits. Keystone habits. Um, And what this means is it's a good habit, but it creates positive momentum into better habits. The opposite of that is if you have a bad habit that creates negative momentum in your life. So keystone habits, that's what you got to do. So one of my keystone habits, I'll give you an example, is flossing. Yesterday, I flossed four times. I have flossers in my car. We have a package of flossers, you know, little flossers in my car. Janie has them in her car because I cannot stand to have anything in my teeth. And so I floss every day, no matter what. When I go to the dentist, they're like, how often do you floss? And I said, 28, 30, 50 times a week, you know, and they're like, wow, because when they floss, my my gums don't bleed because they've had work, right? So I floss every night. If we come in at midnight or 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning from a mission trip, I'm going to take a shower, I'm going to brush my teeth, and I'm going to floss because I will not sleep if I don't. So when I floss, I feel like I can sleep. When I sleep, I get more rest. When I get more rest, I wake up refreshed. And when I wake up refreshed, I'm anxious to read the Bible and pray, and I get filled with the Holy Spirit. If I get filled with the Holy Spirit, I go to work, and I have a very productive day. And when I come home, I'm nice to my family. When I'm nice to my family, my wife thinks I'm sexy, and hey, 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 life is good. Why? Because I flossed. That's a keystone habit. If I don't floss, I can't sleep. I wake up moody. If I wake up moody, I have a bad attitude. If I read my Bible and pray with a bad attitude, I am not filled with the Holy Spirit. I come to work. I am not having a productive day. I leave work and one of you cuts me off. I think very, very bad thoughts about your vehicle. 
and, and I pull around you and I don't see the nice public servant sitting on the side of the road who pulls me over and gives me a ticket. And if all of that happens, I'm a smoldering volcano when I get home. I am not nice to my family. My wife does not think I'm sexy and no, 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 life is not good. Why? Because I didn't floss. Is that an exaggeration? Only slightly. There are certain habits that when you do them, create positive momentum into better habits. And so here's the keystone habit. If you're a couple or if you want to be a couple that succeeds in marriage, seek God together in prayer. Seek God together in prayer. I don't even know how long Janie and I have done this. In fact, when we were dating, my favorite memories of our dating are when I would go to see her mom. She and her mom, they lived on the river. Janie was in college, but I would, I would meet her there, and we would go on the dirt roads, and we would walk, and we would hold hands, and we would pray as we're walking. Let's go for a walk, and we would just pray together, and, and Janie taught me a lot about prayer because, you know, some pretty bird would come across, and she's just praying. She goes, Lord, thank you for that pretty bird, and I'm going, that's awesome, and every day, I get up before Janie and I have my time with the Lord. Every day, Janie goes and she sits in her rocking chair in, in what used to be Rachel's room. And, and the sexiest thing I've ever seen is my wife with her Bible open, reading and praying. Every night, no matter what's going on, because I go to bed before her. I get up real early. She, she likes to stay up late. Last night, the kids were at the house, and, and I, was just, I didn't expect her to come in. I thought she was going to stay with the kids, and I kissed her on the head. She goes, oh, I'm coming in. So we go in, we lay down, and we pray together every night. Now, if you're dating, um, this, is, this isn't in the Bible. This is just some wisdom from Doug. Don't pray together on the sofa. Don't pray together on the bed. Don't pray together ever horizontally because praying together bonds you and it makes you want to kiss. I'm just telling you. So if you're, you aren't married, pray at a restaurant with a table in between you, right? That's my advice. If you're married, pray in bed. Hey. Now, why is praying such a big deal? Second Chronicles 7:14, you've heard this. You've heard this. I want to apply it just a little bit differently today. If my people who are called by my name, this is God speaking. This is a prophetic word he's speaking over his people and he's actually talking about when they were in exile. They had lost their land. They'd lost their temple. They were in exile. And God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I want to change that just a little bit. Go ahead and put the next slide up, Nate. If my married or single people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their marriage, or will heal their heart so that they can be prepared for marriage. It's a big deal to pray. Some people are like, well, it feels awkward. Well, practice. Start with praying over meals. Start with praying for your children. I remember, I've been shocked. So I've been in ministry 37 years. 18 years, uh, 19 years in minister, uh, youth minister, 18 years here as a pastor of this church. I'm shocked at how many people do not pray together as couples. Way back when I was at Southside, I, I, I did a marriage sermon and, and I, I got an email from this lady and, and she said, we had never prayed together before and it was really awkward. 
She said it was the most awesome thing we've ever done. She said, we decided we're going to start this new habit. And this was somebody who'd been married for years. Just blows my mind. If you will develop this keystone habit with your spouse, you're more likely to go to church together. You're more likely to serve in church together. You're more likely to go to a small group. You're more likely to have people praying for you. And you're more likely to be bringing people in your family, raising them with the love of God. And it's really, really hard to divorce someone that you're praying with, that you're seeking God with. A lot of you thinking it's just it's too much, too much. No, too, too much God talk. Well, then take your chances. 50-50. If you want a 50-50, that's, that's good. But if you want something different, do what God wants. Years ago, Family Life did a survey, and they, they surveyed Christian couples and they asked, how many of you pray together regularly? Of the Christian couples that, that they surveyed, only eight out of 100 couples prayed together regularly. Now, here's the thing that stuns me. Of those eight couples that prayed together regularly, 99% of them stayed married. You want 99%? You want 50%. I want 99 But we're not doing that. We've never done that. The name of the series is From This Day Forward. Make a decision today. Well, we don't even like each other right now. From this day forward. I want to be like this man. His 88-year-old wife was dying in a hospital. He was 90. They'd been married for just over 70 years. And the pastor walked into this jam-packed hospital room. Several generations of family members were all worshiping God together as this... Grandma was about to leave, about to go to heaven. And the 90-year-old man opened up Psalm 23, and through tears he read, he read Psalm 23 to his family over his wife, and then everybody joined hands. He put a, put a hand on his wife's head, and he committed her to God. And he said, thank you, God, for my 70 years of getting to serve you with my best friend. And then he kissed her and he said, I'll see you soon. That night she went to be with the Lord. After it was over, he said, to the, he said to the man, the pastor said to the man, he goes, I want to be like you. What's your secret? And he said, well, we messed up so many times. But the one thing we've always done is we prayed together faithfully. I'm asking you to grab hands with your two and never stop seeking the one. When you do that, the God of heaven will hear your prayers. Forgive your sin and he'll heal your marriage. Now today, I don't care if you're young, old, single, not single, whatever. Some of you need to admit today that you've not been seeking the one. You have a lowercase one, a lowercase g, God. And it's why you're miserable. Would you make a commitment today that from this day forward, no matter what happens, you will seek the one? Some of you need to admit that God's just not your one. Some of you have never had him as your one. You know about God, but you've never asked God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. The Bible tells us that Jesus left the glory of heaven. He became obedient to God, and he put on skin, flesh and bones, Gave up the adoration, the worship of angels to come and die on a cross, an innocent man so that he could pay for your sins, so that he could be your one, so that you could be reconciled to God 
And no matter what your circumstances are, you could have joy in the midst of incredible difficulty. Because Jesus said you're going to have trouble. Those preachers that say if you just believe enough, you're not going to have trouble, they're liars. And their lies come from the pit of hell. Because if I'm following Jesus and Jesus suffered and died, remember the disciples, all of them except one, according to tradition, died a martyr's death because they would not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. They said, we've seen him alive. He died on a cross. God raised him. You killed him. We will not stop saying this. They all died a martyr's death. And if, if they were lying, they would have, somebody would have cracked. But he came for you. He said, I want, to, I want to be your one. And I want to prepare you for eternity. But the choice is yours. So I want you to bow your heads for just a minute. If, if, God has, if God has not been the one in your life, if he's not been number one, would you raise your hands? Okay. Would you pray this prayer? From this day forward, I want you to be my number one. I recognize that I have strayed from you. I recognize that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. Give me the power from this day forward to live for you. Father, we want to be a church that, that proclaims your truth regardless of the circumstances or the consequences. And I pray that, that you would be honored by what, what we've sung today, by what's gone on in the children's area, by what was spoken today. God, this is all about you. Would you draw hearts to you right now? And if someone's unsure, Lord, penetrate their heart. If someone's marriage is on the rocks, penetrate their heart so that they can say from this day forward, we're going to have some different habits. We're going to establish those habits that honor God, put him in his rightful place as one, and put my spouse in their rightful places too. Or if they're single, God, I pray that you give them courage to live for you while you're preparing them for their two. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.